0: Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TICFN and Light 100.5 WRCH. Erin Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Michelle reardon Nold. She is Executive Director of the Connecticut Data Collaborative. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, you have an interesting story to tell about voting related to the numbers that your organization has been crunching. And we will get to that in a moment. But first, tell us about the Connecticut Data Collaborative. Why do you exist and what do you do?
2: Uh, so the Connecticut Data Collaborative, our mission is to democratize access to public data and build data literacy skills. Um, so we, um, our work involves, you know, many different um Aspects to our work, we hold workshops, um, like I said, to increase data literacy. So it could be workshops about data storytelling, data visualization, data analysis. Um, We also have a website, ctdata.org, where we make over 200 public data sets available to the public um, via our visualization tools. They are easy to use and access. Um, and then we work on particular projects. Uh, we help make the Secretary of State's business registration data available to, both to the public. And then what I'm here to talk about today is one of our more recent projects, which is um, assisting get out the vote efforts by um, providing them with um, data to identify where there are areas of opportunity in the state to register, uh, non-registered voters, right? So to increase um, turnout,
0: give us an idea of some of the data that is available that people may not know about that's out there. in In general terms, not just voting to start.
2: We have a lot of census data that we provide to the public. So it would be demographic information. So, in, you know, population counts by town, population by race by town. Uh, we have housing data. So average rent, Um, we have um, uh, median household income, we have educational attainment data, we provide um, State Department of Education data as well. So um, information about school districts, for example, chronic absenteeism rates or um, performance on um, standardized tests. We have uh, health data. We have uh, behavioral, we have a behavioral health portal. Uh, we have a women and girls data platform. Uh, so that is particular data um, disaggregated by gender. So economic data, health data, housing data, all disaggregated by gender and a lot more. It's, you can, you can spend lots of time on our website. And um, if, you're a, if you're a data person, you can you can find yourself going down many rabbit holes. <laughs>
0: And what story does the data tell when it comes to voting? I understand you have focused in particular on the Hartford region.
2: We did. So um, this particular project was, um, we've got support from the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving to put this out. So what we did is we took um, the Secretary of State's voter registration file, and we aggregated it to block group. Um, So just for those who aren't familiar with that terminology, it's the Census Bureau um, has different geographic levels and um, block group is, is the smallest um, based on population size. And what we tried to show was we took another census data set called the voter um, eligible um, voter registration data so and compared it to how many people were actually registered in the Secretary of State's um, registration file, and then showed through a map, and we made this data available statewide, showed through a map where there were higher percentage and number of potentially unregistered voters. We also, um, the DMV um, puts, put out a file um, also showing potentially unregistered voters based on their data. Um, as you know, you can go to the DMV and register to vote when you get your license or renew your license. Um, so they also provided data. And then we, um, what we did is we put together, we analyzed that data for the Hartford region and put together, um, a data, what we call a data story. And you can find it on our website, ctdata.org vote. And we looked at how many, um, where there were highest number of towns of non-registered voters we explored um, also explored the turnout in 2016 to give us an idea of potentially the turnout for this year and where there might be opportunities to help increase that turnout and then we also looked at uh, young voters.
0: Walk us through your findings. What are the key points?
2: One of the um, interesting findings is that uh, when we look at percentage of estimated non-registered voters, uh, a few towns, Summers and Enfield, both show up um, as the top two potential towns of non-registered voters, and Suffield is number four. And what was the, su- what's That was surprising to us, but then what we realized is that the Census Bureau um, counts prisoners where they're incarcerated and not where they're from. So they're showing up in the towns where we do have large prison populations. So prisoners are, some prisoners are eligible to vote. So there is potential to get them to vote, Um, but it did sort of skew what we were expecting. But when you do look at, when you look at peer numbers, so populations, um, towns or cities where there are large numbers of people who appear to be not registered to vote, uh, Hartford is the highest with approximately 14,000 and Field with 9,000 and Manchester with 6,000. So there still is in our larger cities and towns, the opportunity um, and, and what we were trying to show for groups and organizations that were working on get out the vote efforts is that there are, you know, still large populations of people in our bigger cities who um, are not registered?
0: You've also uncovered some interesting information what comes to, the age of of people who are are registered versus not.
2: We did uh, so. You know, we you do I hear, and I'm sure you you must hear too um, in the media that you know young people participate at lower levels, um, and so we did take a look to see is that true in our data. Um, and in the Hartford region, there's approximately ninety three thousand people who are registered um, who were the between the ages of 18 and 29 during the 2016 presidential election. And of those who were 18 to 29 at that time, 47% of them voted. So although that number is probably lower than it actually was, because some of those folks might not have lived in Connecticut in 2016. So they might've just not voted in Connecticut, but voted in another state. It still does show, um, a low percentage you know it's 47 percent so less than half that um showed up to vote so my hope is that there seems to be increased energy around this election and that um more young people will show up and so we will be taking a look at that post post this year's election
0: we've heard from the secretary of the state's office that the voter rolls in connecticut have never been larger over 2.3 million people registered to vote now is that any indication of turnout on Tuesday? Do you have a, a sense of what things are going to look like?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is is—it is um, an indicator, right? You would think that people who are highly motivated to register, you know, there has been a huge surge in registration. So if people go through the effort of registering, I would imagine they would go through the effort of voting as well. And I mean, this year... They're, they made it easier for folks to register and that everybody could have an absentee ballot. So I do think we are going to see increased uh, voter turnout because of the many, the different opportunities to vote. You don't just have to vote on November 3rd. You can submit your absentee ballot via ballot box. And that is one other resource that we do provide on our website on ctdata.org vote is we show a map where ballot drop boxes are um, available across the state.
0: And a couple of public service (laughs) announcements here. First of all, the drop boxes, we are hearing from officials that at this point, if you haven't returned your ballot or your application by now, it's best to use the drop box instead of the mail, and you should be Mm -hmm. using the drop box in the town or city in which you are registered. And also, the ship has sailed for pre-registration before the election, but you can still show up On Election Day at your local town or city hall for Election Day registration is not at the polling place. It's at most town and city halls across Connecticut. Now, I, I know the voter registration efforts have been massive leading up to Election Day. Give us an idea of what the groups you've been working with have been doing with this information to get people signed up to vote.
1: Yeah, I
2: mean, we've received you know great response um, because prior um, to this, the data did not exist um, in an accessible format uh, for statewide. So, particularly um, if you're a nonpartisan organization, partisan organizations have access, but not nonpartisan organizations. So, what we have, what we heard from many org- groups was that they were able to hone in on particular um, areas and really um, target those areas for outreach. So um, go door to door or if they were able to use our maps and find um, a-, a grocery store or another public place where they could um, set up a table to encourage um, voter registration and have voter registration materials available. So. They really, um, the data was really used to um, target areas where there were potentially unregistered voters, and 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 try and get them to get register and put the resources where they live. And
0: using big data is, is something that has really caught on among political campaigns, hasn't it? I mean, they they are able to use this information to really to really target. The voters they want to reach
2: yes they they do they all they have their proprietary tools um, where they can slice and dice the um voter registration rules and and you you know look at past turnout to predict future turnout and um yep they're yeah they're they're well-oiled right in terms of their um voter outreach
0: you're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Michelle Reardon-Knold. She is Executive Director of the Connecticut Data Collaborative. I understand you have a, a new data set out related to housing in Connecticut. Tell us about that.
2: In partnership with the Partnership for Strong Communities, um, they this year we helped put out their um, housing profiles. So what we we built an interactive um, data platform where you can uh, view lots of different data about housing and demographics by partic- by town and county. Um, and then you have access to um, a PDF um, profile for each town and each county in the state. The data, although it, they are the housing um, data profiles, they, it is broad, there's um, demographic data, um, in addition to housing data, so these were just released today. Uh, so I encourage um, everyone if you go to Partnership for Strong Communities website, you can find them on their website, and you can also find them on ctdata.org.
0: Now this is a year where a census is being conducted. Does that kind of excite you as a data person? Does that mean there's going to be a bunch of new information to to analyze? in the coming months and years?
2: It does, yes. We were heavily involved in the census uh, 2020 outreach efforts to get everyone to to um, ensure they were counted. Um, but it does, it is, uh, it's, you know, the every 10 years to count of the population. So now we will, um, after once the data are released, have a true count of how many people live in Connecticut. Um, and from there, you know, um, usually population projections are built off of the decennial census so that will be also um, once that data are released time to redo the population projections for Connecticut so there are a lot of um, exciting new um, and then of course there's representation Um, the, the, the map is drawn for representation based on the decennial census so there's lots of things that the decennial census is important for.
0: I know you, you mentioned a, a big source is census data. I gather there are a bunch of sources at the state level as well. How good is Connecticut compared to other states in, in making this data accessible?
2: Connecticut is it does quite well. I mean, we do have um, a chief data officer at the state, uh, works under of the Office of Policy and Management, and the state does have an open data portal. Um, so much, there's a lot of data that's made available through that. Um, there is a state data plan as well. Um, and we actually have a conference on November 9th and 10th, and we're going to be having a session to share the draft of the, um, state's chief data officer will share a draft of the state data plan and get, um, comment and feedback on it. So we are really, um, ahead of the curve in terms of what we provide to the public, and then also um, the work that gets done to make more data available to the public.
0: Explain to us why that is important because I would suspect that the average person hearing this does not have mm-hmm. the the interest or, or maybe the even the time to, to go through and find this information and, and crunch the numbers. But thankfully, there are people that do that.
2: Right. And we are one of them. Right. So uh, CT data, um, a Connecticut Data Collaborative is the organization that makes what we how we describe our work is we make the data accessible. So it's so the state state's chief data officer makes sure that the data is available. Right. So in its raw form on the open data portal. But we take it and then we through our visualization tools, a broader audience is able to use and understand the data so, for example, we take the COVID data that um, is put out by um, Department of Public Health, and we have a dashboard on our site that enables you to look at that data by town, um, look at it by race ethnicity, um, and you know, with just and see the trend over time in terms of where we are each day and week. So really, um, if you if you want to know how many cases um, are in your town with a click, you can see that very easily. Uh, And so that's what we do. So we take we make it easy for the public to find the number they're looking for and understand what's happening in their in their community, in their region, in their county, in their town.
0: Certainly, COVID data, I'm guessing, has a lot of interest these days, as does voting data. But how do you choose what other data sets to really dig into?
2: Right, COVID is a huge interest right now, but a lot of our work, we work with other partners. Um, Many organizations partner with us um, because we do provide a unique service and that um, we have um, both the analytical skills and the visualization skills and to take data from its raw format, analyze it, visualize it, and tell a story about it. So Organizations work with us to provide that technical service that um, is often hard um, to find, and then plus we reach a broad audience through um, just from having been around for a little while, and and um, also our outreach efforts in terms of in terms of teaching everyone how to how to fish is what I like to say, but how to use data. So through our data literacy workshops, we um, are able to um, raise raise the t- the boat right is that the phrase they use right so raise everybody's skill level and make everybody um, data people
0: as the saying says the the numbers don't lie but I I would suspect that some numbers need context you know I'm thinking back to what what you mentioned about the voting and the the towns that have prisons in them, you do need some information beyond the raw data to to kind of put the numbers into context, especially when you you see information that might be surprising.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, it's very hard to, um, and that is, you know, part of what we do teach is being a critical consumer of data, right? It's very, um, there's a number, but then there's a story behind the number, and there's often people behind the number, numbers, but for example, we have, um, we make the business registration data available to the public. And um, one question we get in there is, it doesn't necessarily show you true business activity because um, for example, um, those real estate transactions can be set up through an LLC. So, um, um some or you know some folks will put their house in a trust and that becomes an LLC. So it's not necessarily true business activity in the sense of what um, economic development folks are interested in looking at. So it's very important when you are looking at the raw data to to understand the ins and outs of how the data are collected and um and what they mean
0: if someone wants to get started exploring the the wealth of information that is available out there what advice do you have where should they start
2: well of course they should start at our site ctdata.org um but uh i we always say start with your question right and then um and that will drive the the source you look at uh We recommend when you're looking for data, uh, state and federal sources of data are the best places to go if you're looking for, um, because those are typically the primary sources of the data. But you know, we have we also have a helpline, info at ctdata.org, where we get lots of questions people who are starting a project or applying for a grant or have a question and need help finding data. And so we do that as well, help people find data.
0: Have groups come to you and said, Hey, I have this this interesting data set. Uh, do you want to host it or or analyze it? Does does that happen?
2: It does happen, yeah, um, and that is always exciting when we do when we do have um, someone who's interested and um, who's done the work in terms of um, cleaning the data set, and so we will work with them to make it available to the public.
0: During as as someone who does this for a living and analyzes data day in and day out. Do you have a sense of how well government is doing making decisions based on data versus based on emotion or, well, we've always done it that way. Is is government catching on that this can help make better decisions?
2: Yeah, they are. And I mean, you know, it's a testament to, you know, our existence too, and that, um, uh, the legislature saw the real value in, um, in making data available to the public and, um, you know, sees us as a great resource for the public. You know, there's there's there are lots of efforts underway at different state agencies and we're working with many of them um, to use data to better understand um, their work. And there's, you know, many efforts underway too also within the state to integrate the data, right? So to look at some of these um, social sector challenges that cross multiple agencies. And so that's really exciting to see um, government, you know, trying to use data, link it and not, you know, link it across agencies. So take them out of the government silos and and really try and solve the problems across, across sectors. So um, I have seen a transformation in the use of data, I mean the fact that we do have a state's chief data officer does show the importance. I, there's, you know, a lot, a lot of work to do, and I think that will always be the case. Um, there's, you know, even with the COVID data revealed, the importance of breaking it down by race, ethnicity, um, and 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 that is really important. Is that in order, you know, to understand. Some of these systematic inequalities that exist, we do have to um, collect the data by race and ethnicity and then analyze it that way. And there are areas where we don't. Right. So there's there is a lot of opportunity for growth and improvement. Um, But I but we do have areas where we have um, really done well as a state. I mean, I, I would. You know, just a shout out to um, the Institute for Municipal Regional Policy runs the Racial Profiling Prohibition Project. And that is an example where uh, we are a leader in terms of collecting traffic stop data, but not just collecting it, but analyzing it and identifying if disparities exist. And other states have now followed the method um, that we've applied to that data. So there's always room for growth, right, and improvement. But I do, but there is... But we have done a good job, I would say.
0: She is Michelle Reardon Nold, Executive Director oh. of the Connecticut Data Collaborative. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
2: Thank you, Aaron, for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.